Well, it's Easter morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's hard to imagine that first Easter morning, not just how dark it was before anyone knew Jesus was alive, but after they met him. After the word spread among the disciples, he is risen, he's, he's alive, the, the tomb is empty. How excited they must have all been. But today I'd like us to focus on one person on that morning that I think maybe wasn't fully excited. Who had some mixed feelings when he heard the news that Jesus was alive. You might wonder who that might be, but I want to say to you today, I think maybe it was Peter. Before we look at Peter, I want you to think for just a minute in your own life. When there's somebody that you just have had a problem with, a conflict with, maybe you've done something that has been awkward and you're sort of nervous to see them again. Maybe you're afraid they're mad at you. Maybe you're a little embarrassed by what you did. Maybe you're convinced they don't want to see you. You know what we do. We sort of avert our eyes. We sort of hang back. We, if we see them coming, maybe we go the other way just because of how uncomfortable we are around them. Well, I think that's where Peter was on that Easter morning. I, I want to go back and just look at what had happened in Peter's life with Jesus in the few weeks leading up to Easter morning. Back in Matthew 16, we see this incident between Peter and Jesus. Jesus is starting to prepare the disciples with the news that he's going to be arrested, he's going to be killed. And Peter, in a typical Peter fashion, just very strongly and vehemently says, never, Jesus, this isn't going to happen. Of course, we know what happens next. Peter, very, uh, Jesus very strongly rebukes Peter and goes so far as to say, Peter, Satan is using thee. Get thee behind me, Satan. And some tension developed between Jesus and Peter over that topic. And it comes up again in Thursday night in the upper room during the Passover meal. If you look in Mark 14, we see where Jesus is warning the disciples, and he says, you know, it's going to get bad tonight. Uh, They're going to come, and they're going to arrest me, and, and all of you are going to fall away. You're going to run away and leave me all by myself. And Jesus says part of that is to fulfill a prophecy. And here again, Peter says, nope, no way. All of these other guys may run away, Jesus, but I'm not going to run away. You can count on me. And of course, again, Jesus has to stop Peter. And he says, Peter, I want to tell you the truth. Tonight, this very night, you're not just going to run away. You're going to disown me three times. Before you hear the rooster crow, you will deny me three times. And of course, Peter, he comes right back and says, Peter, Jesus, if I have to die with you, I'll do that. I'll never disown you. Well, we know what happens after that. 
After all of Peter's bold statements and his confidence in his commitment and how Jesus can count on him, the very things Jesus had told him would happen, happen. Peter runs away with everybody else, abandons Jesus. At some point, he wakes up and realizes he had done the very thing he said, I'll never do. And he's gone. Who knows where he is? Back in Jerusalem, hiding in the olive trees. And Jesus is arrested and gone. How his boasting must have haunted him. If everybody else runs away, Jesus, you can count on me. But he didn't. Of course, then we read in Luke 22 how the very thing Jesus had also prophesied comes true. Peter is hanging around trying to see what's going on with Jesus. He's sort of on the fringes. And even there, three times, somebody spots him and says, hey, you were with him. And every time, Peter vehemently says, no, I don't know him. No, I'm not. I'm not with him. The third and final time he even takes an oath. I swear to you, I don't know him. And then Luke tells us, at that very moment, as the rooster is crowing and Peter just suddenly is in shock that he'd done that very thing. He had denied Christ three times. Luke adds the detail that somewhere in the setting, Jesus is able to turn his head and looks and makes eye contact with Peter as he has just denied him the third time. And Luke adds that detail that after that moment, Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. So now it's Easter morning, and Jesus is alive, and there are the disciples, and we know at some point later in the day, they're all together, and Jesus is there. But one of the things I want you to notice, and and I can't prove anything from this, but if you look at all the Gospels and all the records, there's no hint of any conversation directly between Jesus and Peter. He's in the room, clearly. We call it an awkward silence. I think Peter was hoping Jesus didn't notice him. I think Peter would stay in the background. I would. Ashamed of my guilt, I'd run away when I said I wouldn't. I had denied him three times when I said, you can count on me, Jesus, and clearly he couldn't. I think Peter would think like any of us, Jesus has no time for me. I've clearly failed. I'm not the man for Jesus that I wanted to be. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about Peter today on this Easter morning I know at this point may seem pretty bleak, but I think it's important to look at Peter because I think we've all been there. Whether we're there today or not, I think we've all been there. In a sense, afraid to look Jesus in the eye. 
convinced that God doesn't want to see me. We've failed. Maybe it's because of something we've done that even we're ashamed of. Maybe it's because of promises we've made to God and we haven't kept them, just like Peter. I think most of us have been where Peter was, but it's not all bad news on this Easter morning for, East, for Peter. But we need to understand guilt is a terrible thing. Satan uses guilt. Because with guilt, we, we destroy ourselves, we cut ourselves off from God, the very source of hope that we need. In a sense, guilt alienates us from God, the one person who can give us new life. But the story isn't over. Jesus wasn't finished with Peter. Some days go by. As I try and piece the stories together, I'm thinking it's a week, maybe a couple weeks go by. Jesus was with them 40 days. And somewhere in that 40 days, they're up in Galilee. The disciples have gone north, back to their homes. Jesus had told them to go to Galilee. They didn't do something wrong. But one of the things that happens is that Peter has gone back to fishing. Now, this isn't fishing how you and I do it to relax on a day off. Peter was a commercial fisherman. He had gone back to his day job, his secular job, knowing that Jesus was alive. And I wonder if part of that wasn't because Peter felt like, I don't think Jesus has any use for me. He doesn't have anything for me to do. We don't know why, but we know it had happened. And we're, what we're going to see in this final incident is that Jesus still has big plans for Peter. Yes, Peter has blown it. Yes, he failed. And in one sense, we could say he was not worthy. But Jesus was okay with that. And we need to hear that message We've all blown it. We've all failed. We've all not kept our promises. We've all done things we've said we would never do. And Satan wants to heap guilt on us. One of his names is he is the accuser because he sees the damage that guilt does to us. But what we need to hear from this story of Peter is that Jesus was not done with him. And despite what Peter had done wrong, Jesus still wanted to use him. In fact, faulty sinners are the only kind of people Jesus has ever had to work with. So if we fit in that category, Jesus says, yeah, I'm used to working with people like you. It's not a problem. And so they're out fishing, and then they come in. And I love this story because Jesus is on shore cooking up a shore lunch. Now, if you're not from Minnesota, you maybe aren't familiar with that, but one of the big things we do when we're fishing, if you're having a good fishing day, that is, is somebody goes on shore and makes shore lunch. And I was reading that this week, and I thought, awesome. Our Minnesota tradition is in Scripture. Jesus made shore lunch. And so the fishermen come in, and they're sitting around the fire eating the meal that Jesus has prepared and John 21 tells us the story. 
They're sitting around eating. And Jesus says, Simon. We don't know if that had happened before, but it may be the first time Jesus had called out Peter's name. Can you imagine if you were Peter? I know what my head would be doing. Oh, great, here it comes. You know, you always had those teachers, those professors, when they said your name, it was like, oh, shoot. This isn't going to be good. And Jesus says, Simon. And then he says, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? With his denial, with his running away, with everything Peter had done, it was the worst possible question Jesus could ask. Do you really love me? In parentheses, because you ran away, you know. That's what was in Peter's head. You denied me three times. Peter, do you really love me? Now, I don't think Jesus was being mad or, or, or wanting to hurt Peter. Jesus was going to address the 600-pound gorilla in the middle of the room. Because he knew that if he didn't deal with that guilt, with that sin of Peter's, then Peter would never believe Jesus was okay with him. Jesus still wanted to use him. And so not one time, but three times, Jesus comes back to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? I don't think it's a coincidence that Peter had denied Jesus three times. And so in a sense, for every one of those denials, Peter comes, Jesus comes back and says, Peter, do you really love me? And every time, Peter somehow is able to look Jesus in the eye and say, yes, you know I love you. You know my heart. Whatever I've done, however I failed, you know my heart, you know I love you. I do love you, Jesus. I am committed to you. I know my life doesn't show it, but I am committed to you. I love you. And Jesus lets Peter know that he believes him. Three times he says in response to Peter, I love you. He says, then, then take care of my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care of my lambs. Three times Jesus responds and says, I still have things for you to do, Peter. I'm not done with you. I know what you've done. And you and I are okay. We've sat around this fire. And I've asked you and you've responded and you've responded strongly. And I know your heart. I know you mean it. Peter, we're okay. And Jesus did use Peter. If we go on to the book of Acts, we see on the day of Pentecost... How Jesus uses Peter in a powerful way to preach the first gospel message to the Jews of Jerusalem, both convincing them that they have indeed killed the Messiah, the Son of God, but offering them how they might have Jesus as their Savior, their Messiah still. And over 3,000 enter into the kingdom, followers of Jesus that day, 
as the church begins, and Peter is the one who used the keys of the gospel to unlock the kingdom. Jesus wasn't done with Peter by far. And in the first chapters of Acts, we see how again and again all the disciples looked to Peter as the leader of that initial group, the first church. Jesus was far from done with Peter. Easter was a resurrection for Peter in a sense, and it is for us as well. We may be like Peter, and in many ways we all are. Only the details are different. And Satan may want to use what we've not done right, what we've not done our best, when we've done things we're ashamed of. Satan wants to use that to put guilt on us, just like he did on Peter. And our, our, our human tendencies are to hang back, just like Peter probably did. But Jesus will come after us just like he did with Peter and ask us each, do you really love me? And he knows our hearts. He knows if we do. And he will say to us like he did to Peter, I'm not done with you. It's okay. You see, the, the incredible good news of this morning is that even if we're Peter and we've, we've blown it in terrible ways, Christ's resurrection is for us too. That our guilt can be gone. That we are forgiven because his death was enough. The writer of Hebrews writes in 9.14, How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, how much more will that blood of Christ cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? The blood of Christ cleanses our lives as well, just as it cleansed the life of Jesus. And that is the incredible good news of Easter. It wasn't just for Jesus, that He rose again. It's for all of us. May you experience that new life in you, not just in Jesus, in you, because He died and rose again so that you might have that new life. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the, the good news of this Easter morning. That Christ is alive. That His death was enough to pay for our sins. And that in Him we may find new life as well. Father, I thank You that You put people in Your Bible that aren't perfect. 